electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. I'll be able to make friends. Just trying to help you make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. As long as I've been involved in investing, no, just years and years, four decades, I've almost never heard a good word about a Fed chief. At least not while they're in office. Even when they make the market happy, witness today, where the Dow gained 304 points, as not be jumped 1.46%. NASDAQ surged 2.50%. The grousey is endless about these guys. We might recall Ben Bernanke is the guy who got us out of the financial crisis, but he also, also helped us get into it. Some remember the Greenspanger fondly. But at the time, he was endlessly derided for his impenetrable gobbledygook. <laughs> Janet Yellen was unremarkable, except for a real gaffe, where she mistook transitory inflation for something more embedded. Uh, these days, people revere the late Paul Volcker for crushing our last major bout of inflation. But people seem to forget he caused a horrible recession to do it. At the time, he was the most hated man in America. So goes Jay Powell. Today, Powell raised interest rates by a whopping 75 basis points, the biggest hike in nearly 30 years. It was initially greeted with a yawn in the stock market, instant criticism he should have done much more. Stocks briefly sold off. But those sellers made a big mistake, and the market made them look like idiots. Because once Powell started talking in the actual press conference, you realize, wait a second, this man's going full Malcolm X. He's going to stop inflation by any means necessary. Powell will raise rates until inflation is destroyed. He can do it because finally, finally, he played his trump card. He doesn't have to care what happens to the economy in terms of a traditional slowdown. He's not worried about the bane of Fed tightenings, unemployment, because it's so easy to find a job. And without new people coming to the workforce, it might stay that way. The first cohort that realized Powell's now in full Malcolm X mode was actually the bond market, not the stock market. Bond yields came crashing down, came down real hard, which is what was needed because it means the Fed's regaining its credibility with alacrity. Now, as the press conference went on, or war on, I guess you could say, Powell hedged a bit and said, hey, wait a second, maybe there are already some signs that the economy's slowing. Now, anything that suggests Powell's done anything right, 
uh, when it comes to inflation, immediately causes rates to go up and stocks to go down. But, you know, what? he pushed that aside. And then he said, listen, I, 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 whatever's happened, it's not enough. He will not let up with the rate hikes until he sees compelling evidence that inflation has been slain. Rates have plummeted for not just one month, two months, but for a long time. Now, we'll know it'll be difficult for Powell to bring down inflation by himself because a lot of this comes to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, causing energy and food shortages, while China's draconian lockdown policy crimps the supply chain. But as he said, it's not going to be easy. But he'll do it anyway because we have so many more uh, jobs than people available to do so. I think Powell's directly tackling wage inflation first because that's the most powerful tool in his arsenal when it comes to slowing down the economy. In other words, he can't do much about supply. Not in control of it. That's, uh, that's Russia. That's Ukraine. That's China. So he's going to slam demand by throwing people out of work, confident they'll be able to find other jobs for probably lower wages. He wants to take inflation down to 2%. That's a great way to start. He's betting that we can get there without causing a crash landing for the economy because the job market is ridiculously strong. The greatest of Powell's plan is that it totally appeases the inflation hawks who barely needed appeasing because they were taking rates all over the place. Is he taking a huge risk here? I don't think so. But he's so determined to crush inflation that he's perfectly willing to risk causing mass joblessness, even if I don't think that's a likely outcome. Now, there'll be consumers who keep spending and there'll be consumers who aren't spending because they've lost their jobs. The latter group will still be able to find work, but not instantly. And they're going to help bring down prices. That's how Powell's going to win. Or to put it another way, we're going to see job losses and then a job recovery. But Powell's using the job losses as a lever to stop inflation. He knows the consumer's strong enough to take his blows, but they will not be measured. It's that newfound toughness that allowed stocks to rally today, particularly the growth stocks that had withered because of inflation. We just didn't think Powell was willing to use that layoff lever to tamp down demand. We thought he was a softy. It's a harsh way, but it's really the only across-the-board tool he has to do the job. Oddly, I now expect two things to happen. First, many of the people who question Powell's toughness will have to rethink their criticism. I can't recall another Fed chief who straight up admitted that layoffs are necessary, at least not since Volcker. They never put in such stark terms because nobody wants to be a bad guy. But Powell's made it clear that he's willing to be a bad guy, that he can slay inflation even without help from overseas because he's willing to sacrifice the job market to get the situation under control. If there isn't enough joblessness for Powell's liking, he'll create more at the next Fed meeting. He's counting on a tight job market and a very liquid consumer to help cushion the blow, prevent a hard landing from turning into a crash landing. Can there be a silver lining to this? Yes. Sure, it's possible investors will think that if inflation is going to be beaten, that even if it slows the economy, then they should circle back to the stocks they always buy when that situation occurs, when growth wanes, but inflation wanes too. That's the profitable tech companies that help the enterprise, not the consumer. They shouldn't suffer under Powell's plan because he's putting slack into the system and driving down wages to reduce demand. True to form, tech caught fire. Makes me feel good that we've been buying a lot of for our charitable trust. Sure didn't feel good until today. Oddly, though, some of the consumer stocks mostly related to travel went higher. And that could be pent-up demand. I think that wanes. But there is one group that should have gone nuts today. A group that should have shot up like a rocket. A group that I want you to buy. A group that didn't get enough love. And I'm talking about the banks. Oh, yeah, they'll take a hit from higher unemployment. Nevertheless, the banks instantly became much more profitable today, and they will every time Powell tightens. And he basically told you he's going to tighten and tighten and tighten. They're going to make fortunes. And the consumer's strong enough that there won't be too many defaults. It's the banks that didn't move. So I think investors went one for two today. Powell has adopted a Malcolm X philosophy of crushing inflation by any means necessary, regardless of what it does to the job market. Awful if you get laid off, but great if you own tech stocks. On the other hand, the market struck out facing the softball. The banks are going to hit into the upper deck. The last thing that Powell said was that potential young home buyers might need a reset about buying a house. 
as it might be too expensive given the circumstances. I think the Powell Bears need a reset and a recalibration. Now they admitted the whole 50 basis point thing was a mistake after that slap upside the head CPI from last Friday. Turns out Powell has claws. Turns out he's got fags. Turns out he's willing to cause a slowdown. He'll take a recession even. That would be relatively light on job losses. But he'll no longer stand for inflation. Just like Alan Greenspan in 1994, when there were a whole bunch of big rate hikes culminating in a 75 point basis point hike. You know what happened in 1994? Here's the chart, courtesy Larry Williams. Remember, he said the rally would start today. Look at this. Turned out to be a pretty darn good buying opportunity, didn't it? It's right here, right there. All I can say to the critics is maybe pals as good as all the other Fed chiefs you hated at the time, only to be loved once they retire. And the stock bears? Well, this is not the chart you want to see. I need to go to Jason in South Carolina. Jason. Jim, first time caller here, man. Thank you for taking my call. I am so glad you you called. I am glad you called. How can I help? My question is on inflation. Yes. Like most investors, man, I'm watching for capitulation. I yes. mean, to know we're coming out of this bear market, I'm looking for company buybacks to start again. I'm looking for Apple and Microsoft to beat the broader indexes. I'm looking for oil to go back down to 50 bucks a barrel. I'm looking for Bitcoin to stabilize. I'm looking at credit markets, specifically the HYG and TLT to change its course. I'm looking at the VIX to hit sub 40s. But again, my question is right. on inflation. Right. Has it peaked? I mean, with all that being said, you know, why was the market so surprised, you know, by the latest CPI number? I mean, I've heard many analysts. Well, uh, you know, let's, let's take it, Jason, that number was really horrendous. I mean, I think a lot of people thought that there was a first level inflation, which was what was caused here. They, they mistook what's happening in Russia, Ukraine and China as being a little more benign. And that's what made people wrong. And I'd be careful. I think oil comes roaring back. There's going to be a lot of demand when China reopens. How about Tom in Illinois? Tom. Jim, thanks for taking my call, and thanks for your resilience in the face of this crazy market. Well, I'm sure trying. I know that I'm very patient. The, the, uh, I'm glad that club members are patient with me. Sometimes it's hard, but uh, it's hard for everybody. I'm the only guy who has to play with an open hand. How can I help? What do you think of Google at this point? I, just did, a, I did a big, deep dive on Google last week. I think it's the cheapest growth stock in America. Right there. Right there. That chart. The cheapest in America. And I mean it. That's the one to buy. Michael in California, Michael. Hello, I'm Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Stay chill. What's up? Uh, I bought to chill. Amazon after the split, and it's been going down ever since, of course, except today. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think Amazon, there was a, you know, it's true to form as the stock went lower and lower. We got a good piece of research uh, yesterday saying the second half is going to accelerate. Well, we are almost at the second half. So I like Amazon. We did sell a lot of it for the trust. But I think the only one we really didn't sell a lot of, by the way, was Google. Just, you know. All right. Maybe pals as good as all the other Fed chiefs you hated at the time, only to be loved once they retired. Well, made money tonight amid inflation and market volatility. Is it time to take a closer look at a stock like Barrett. Yeah, gold stock. I'll give you my take. Then, in this market, it seems almost impossible to find a winning name. So I'm scanning the major indices for some low price to earning stocks that could be worth looking at. Doing this screen, doing this screen. And customers love Dutch Bros. But is Wall Street ready to embrace the coffee chain after disappointing earnings guidance? I'm getting the latest from the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? 
Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. We've had a severe inflation problem for over a year now, and we spent the last six months worrying about a recession. So why the heck isn't gold doing better? Gold. For ages, gold was widely seen as a stable store of value, the perfect insurance against inflation or any other kind of turmoil in the markets. And we have a ton of it, right? I've always said you should position gold, still do, or one of the best gold miners as an insurance policy. Yet the price of gold has been awful over the past few months, and it's barely up versus where it was trading a year ago. We've seen similarly lackluster performance from the stock of Kramer Faye Barrick Gold, which was created a few years ago from the merger from old Barrick with Rand Gold Resources. Hey, do not get me wrong. Barrick hasn't done badly. The stock's up 3% for the year, trouncing the broader averages. But you think all things gold would be on fire right now, given we've got rampant inflation and a collapse in every kind of speculative asset. The conventional money management wisdom says this situation should be nirvana for a gold miner. Maybe gold's negativity has foreshadowed uh, the new J tough guy pal that we saw today. Wouldn't that be something? Look, when you think about what's gone wrong with gold, uh, this could be the perfect time to get some exposure to the precious metal. Why? Because what went wrong for gold was the rise of cryptocurrency. See, gold initially had a huge run as COVID exploded. People flocked to it as a safe haven, which is how it usually works. Then gold topped out in August of 2020. 
And it's been range bound ever since. Okay, you can see it's done nothing. Uh, stuck between $1,700 and $2,000 per ounce. Even as we started getting very worried about inflation, that range didn't change. You got a brief clip up when Russia invaded Ukraine, but that didn't last long. And I think that lack of traction all comes down to crypto. Sure, everybody knows that gold's a hedge against inflation, but for the past few years, traders found a supposed store of value that was a lot more fun and for a while a lot more lucrative. Why did gold stall out in August of 2020? Well, it is no coincidence that Bitcoin started roaring in September of 2020. Obviously, I can't tell you what motivated every single Bitcoin buyer, but I'm confident many people bought it as a store of value, uh, the equivalent of uh, digital gold, because that was a sales pitch. It was very effective. The Bitcoin evangelist told you that gold was yesterday's store of value, something that would be made obsolete by cryptocurrency. Even when I recommended crypto here, I never fully bought in this argument. Uh, But I warned you that Bitcoin and Ethereum and everything else were speculative assets with potentially limited self-life. But I understood the store of value argument. Turns out they weren't hedges against anything. Turns out the store of value argument. But Bitcoin had tons of advocates, and these guys are incredibly vocal on social media. Uh, they're really amazing. I think they're very compelling. Guys like frequent CNBC guest Anthony Pompliano, they were constantly bashing gold, pointing out its poor performance and how Bitcoin had made you a heck of a lot more money. I don't want to single out Pomp, but he's the, he's the one who got me interested in Bitcoin in the first place back in September 2020. Good time, right as the price of gold stalled out. The guy had me all in, and I cashed out to, uh, uh, you know, candidly at a good price to buy a farm near where I grew up. I shared all of this with you. Thank you, Pomp. By the way, Pomp suggested in a tweet yesterday that the stock market would best benefit from Powell doing nothing. So I wonder, does he mean the Dow would have been up, say, a thousand if Powell done nothing or did he just get it wrong? With Bitcoin enthusiasts, you never know. These pro-cryptic arguments were everywhere. Mark Cuban called Bitcoin better gold than gold. Barry Stern, looked from Starwood, another very smart billionaire, said the same thing. Billionaires say a lot of different things. Even analysts at J.P. Morgan put together, put forward the inflation hitch thesis. I think the Bitcoin evangelists, consciously or unconsciously, were aiming for the gold bug cohort. All the hand-wringing about the dangers of fiat currency were taken straight from the gold bug playbook. In other words, crypto was competing with gold for the same pool of investors. Now, I'm not necessarily saying crypto is toast, although practically everyone I spoke to in Silicon Valley now seems to think that the whole industry is just one big con. But what matters is you can't seriously argue that something like Bitcoin is a hedge against inflation. Not anymore. Ever since the Fed declared war against inflation last November, Bitcoin's down nearly uh, 70%. Far from being a hedge against the government printing money, the whole crypto edifice was one of the biggest beneficiaries. Wow, bad chart. But people still need a store of value, and now the crypto's collapsing, I see them reverting to gold. The Bitcoin boom sucked the life out of gold as an investment. But maybe the crypto bust can bring it back. And if you want gold exposure, like I said, my fave, Barrack Gold, run by the indomitable Dr. Mark Bristow. For my money, this is the best operator in the industry. First, Barrack has the best portfolio of tier one gold mines on Earth, along with some producing copper miners. And uh, the copper has been up higher than this, but still good. And a bunch of sites that haven't even begun to operate yet. Their holdings span the globe from Alaska, South Africa, from Africa to, to Papua New Guinea. By the way, there are a lot of safe places. They've got good geographic diversification. They're really all in America. Second, Barrick has a clear strategy with a 10-year business plan in place at each of its mines. They do a great job of communicating these plans to investors, so the results rarely come as a surprise. In general, Barrick's aiming for steady production from its gold mines, ensuring that their gold mines can keep producing for many years to come, while also growing copper production substantially during the next half decade. The cost of copper is so low when it's part of a byproduct of gold. Third, Barrick's management has terrific execution, which is why the company's got a track record of 
Bloomberg meeting are seeding their own quarterly earnings forecast. They haven't dropped the ball once since the merger with Brand Gold a little over three years ago, and we're used to gold companies dropping balls. But if you want to know why I'm recommending a stock right now, beyond the death of Bitcoin as a hedge against inflation, it's because power coal's gotten really cheap. Companies on track to earn $1.15 per share this year, which means the stock sells for 17 times earnings. That's roughly in line with the average stock of the S&P 500, which sells for 16.7 times earnings here. I call that a reasonable valuation, especially because there's not much risk of the earnings getting clobbered going forward. If anything, there might be upside to those estimates, as people will abandon gold for Bitcoin come crawling back to actual hard assets. On top of that, Barrick's got a terrific dividend policy. Earlier this year, the company rolled out a new variable dividend on top of their existing payout. All the variable dividend stocks and oil went down today. Again, that might be an opportunity. Anyway, last quarter, that meant you for, for, uh, for Barrick, what did you get? You got a regular dividend of $0.10 cents per share plus another $0.10 cents based on the sheer, just on the strength of their balance sheet. So that payout is bigger than it looks. If they maintain the payout at that level for the year, guess what? You got a 4.1% yield. Plus, management also announced a billion-dollar buyback in February. This is a gold company that buys back stock. These guys are returning profits to shareholders. That is highly unusual for the group. So here's the bottom line. This one, this one, G-O-L-D should be a fabulous moment for these guys. And now the potential buyers will no longer be lured into crypto as a false hedge against inflation. I bet the precious metal can make a comeback. If I'm right, then the one to own is best to breed Barrett Gold, which I think is the steal down here at $19 and change. Stick with Kramer. Coming up, if a stock is sporting this key metric, Kramer says, beware. Some big names are wearing this scarlet letter, and we reveal them next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know me, I always say I don't care where stocks come from. I don't care where it's going. Does it really matter if you bought Disney at 180? It's now in the 90s. I mean, other than the pain it caused. Does it matter if you bought PepsiCo at 177, now 157? It shouldn't. But there's one exception to this rule. When you buy a stock with an extremely low price earnings multiple, and yet the darn thing still goes lower. That's because these stocks only look cheap thanks to the fact that the earnings estimates for the out years for next year, for next quarter, are too high. They can go lower and then lower and then lower. Some of these numbers come down and down. Sometimes they go all the way to zero. 
I first saw this happen in the late 1980s when I was trading Bethlehem Steel, which used to be an iconic American company. This thing was supposed to earn $13 a share. So it struck me as a fabulous buying opportunity because the stock was only at $26. What could be cheaper than a stock trading at two times earnings? I figured I'd make a killing if anything good happened. And nothing good happened. First, the dollar got very strong, making domestic steel producers less competitive. Foreign steel came in from everywhere, dumped by countries with cheap labor. Then the company reported catastrophic earnings. Miss. Bessie, as we call it after a symbol BS, didn't make $13 per share. It actually lost money that year. The stock wasn't trading cheap at two times earnings because the multiple was a chimera. Next thing you know, the stock did get cut in half. And it was, we had a recession that never really recovered and went bankrupt. Now we're in a similar situation with many companies that look very cheap. Some of them are bargains, but some of them could be the next Bessie, which, by the way, became the name of a black cat that suddenly took up residence at my house, an omen, the omen. Let's start with one of the most that looks like Bethlehem Steel, but actually is better run and won't be. It's called Cleveland Cliffs. This is a steel making amalgam with a stock that trades at just over three times this year's earnings estimates. Maybe that seems cheap, but Cleveland Cliffs also looked cheap in April when it traded at 34. Now it's at 18. Remember, this is the only time we care about where stocks come from because it's educational. It shows you the valuation thesis has gotten people killed. So is it finally time to buy Cliffs as it was known back in the day? The answer from the 1980s with that Bethlehem Steel situation is absolutely not. And for the record, the last time we were worried about a recession in 2020, when the pandemic first hit, Cleveland Cliffs only bottomed at two bucks and change. Fortunately, we got multiple bailouts and the stock bounced right back. But this time, there's no help coming. If we're headed for a genuine slowdown, the thing's got a lot more downside. But let's stand things on their heads. Let's be a little more optimistic after day like today. Let's assume that steel prices stay roughly the same. We have data data on imports, and if anything, they're actually down from last year. We know that there's still a robust steel market. The only weakness we've seen so far is a decline in the ability of warehouses because Amazon seems to have overbuilt. So let's say the slowdown isn't that bad and Cleveland Cliffs can earn half of what Wall Street's expecting this year, which would be just under three bucks a share. In that case, selling six times earnings, that's too cheap to ignore as long as we're not going into a doozy of recession. But it's certainly a possibility. Now, I don't like it, but history says Cleveland Cliffs will lose money as the economy cools. So what do you do? Maybe you want to buy a better steel company, something like Nucor, with a stock that sells at four times this year's earnings estimates. Again, same exercise. Nucor stock has fallen from 187 in April to 116 today. So if you bought it the last few months when it looked like it was cheap, well, you got smoked. But unlike Cleveland Cliffs, Nucor pays a 50-cent quarterly dividend, and they've got a robust buyback. Once it's retired 33 million shares in the last year, shrinking the count by 11%. More importantly, this morning, Nucor pre-announced a much better than expected quarter than the analysts were looking for. Pretty much uh, doing great, regardless of the broader economy. Nucor's a much safer bet than Cleveland Cliffs. If you don't believe we're heading for a recession, you have my blessing to start buying it right now. But if we do get a recession, Nucor traded all the way down to 27th, the pandemic lows. Tremendous buying opportunity, of course, but it's more than nearly 90 bucks below where the stock is now. now I've scanned through the S&P 500 to find other stocks that look more like Nucor than Cleveland Cliffs. And I've got a couple. These things will get hurt in a recession. But if J-Pal can steer us toward a, let's say, a less hard landing, they're worth owning. Big if, I know. But the first is Toll Brothers, TOL. 20-cent quarterly dividend, aggressive buyback that's taken the share count from $123 million to $117 million in the past year. Most importantly, four times earnings. Toll's a home builder for the wealthy. And when you look at the action in the realtor stocks like Redfin or Compass, the real estate sector does seem on the verge of collapse, but maybe not for the wealthy. Now, if we don't get a recession, Toll can make a magnificent comeback. 
as they've got a tremendous franchise of higher-priced homes, will be destroyed by 6.2% mortgage rates. They've tested that level, found it not damaging. Toll stock down 41% for its highs. Keep in mind, this is a $44 stock that traded at 13 at the 2020 lows. I always want to give you the disaster scenario. Next, I consider Ford Motor at six times earnings, 3.3% dividend yield. We know Ford's pretty, uh, product line is pretty much sold out. Thank you, CNBC's own Phil LeBeau. Uh, prices aren't being cut. We got a car shortage after all. Next year, there'll be more electric vehicles, although we don't know how many, but enough that they'll add to the bottom line, especially with the commodity cost stabilizing, which is good because it looks like they're not making any money on the Mustang Mach-E because of commodities. Protection by dividend and earnings that don't seem to be collapsing, Ford certainly seems a decent bet. But remember, it is a bet. Disaster scenario, traded at $4 in the pandemic low. It's at 12 now. Fourth, there's Whirlpool. We had them on. Stock trades at six times earnings, bountiful 4.5% yield, not to mention a robust buyback. Managers also think about selling their European business for probably more than half of the stock's current 8.7% billion dollar market capitalization. They will buy their stock back. Of course, the disaster scenario is really ugly. Bid for homes dry up. We don't need new washers and dryers. Whirlpool currently trades at 155, traded at 64 at the bottom in 2020. Ugly, but not out of the realm if Powell can't stop inflation that easily. The bottom line, there are stocks with insanely low-priced earnings multiples that can't be bought under any circumstances, unlike, uh, sadly, Cleveland Cliffs, which I like. Then there are the higher-quality ones that you can justify owning if you feel a little more sanguine about the economy. Nucor, Toll Brothers, Whirlpool, and Ford. But if we get a steep recession, all four could go much lower. Keep that in mind if you take the risk. Jason, Jason in Montana. Jason. Big Sky Country Booyah from Billings, Montana at Rivera Wealth. Jim, thank you for taking my call. Good to have you. Can you thank you, sir. Can you share some of your thoughts on Citibank, please? Um, I don't know. Citibank's a real quandary for me. I do not understand how a bank could be trading that below, that much below its book value unless there's something very wrong. I'm not going to recommend the stock with so many other bank stocks that are so, so low and have much better franchises. Arthur in California. Arthur! Hey, Jim. How's it going? Longtime fan of yours, your show, and the entire uh, CNBC network. Hey, thank you, man. Thank you. Uh, question is, uh, Luminar Technologies, ticker LAZR, what are your thoughts about this for the long run, and is it a good time uh, for a buy Well, now? I, I can't recommend. One of the things that even though, you know, look, I'm going to screw up on some stuff, but I'm not recommending any companies that are losing money. This is a period not yet to make a lot of money, but I don't want to lose a lot of money. All right, there are low-priced earnings multiples that you can justify owning, but only if you feel more sanguine about the economy than other people. And here they are, okay? Take a look at them. But if we get a steep recession, all four could go much lower because that's called multiple contraction. I want you to keep that in mind. Much more man money had, including my exclusive with Dutch Bros. After his post-earnings decline, is it time to take a sip of the West Coast-based coffee chain from Oregon? I'm checking in with the CEO. Then the Fed has a plan to help cool the economy. I'm revealing what it'll take to be successful. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Funny thing happened last month when we got results from Dutch Bros, the hypercaffeinated Oregon-based coffee chain. From the companies that came public last year, this one had been one of the best performers, though it's not like that's much of a competition. But when Dutch Bros reported a little over a month ago, both their earnings and same-store sales came in weaker than expected, with management also cutting its full-year forecast while saying discouraging things about the current quarter. In response, obviously, there was going to be pressure. The stock plunged 27%. It was that in one day. 
stock went from 34 to 25. Then the buyers came right back. Even after the latest market-wide meltdown, Dutch Bros is back to 34 and change. Like, the disappointment never happened. I think the stock's getting uh, credit for the fact that they've got a great concept that's beloved by their customers. Is that enough, though, to justify owning a stock here? Let's check in with Joth Ricky. He's the president and CEO of Dutch Bros to get a better read on his business. Mr. Ricky, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. Now, we, we got to uh, see where things are because I was disappointed in the last quarter. I know you were, too. You were very tough on yourself in the conference yep. call. Um, first, I want to know, have things picked up? Because April, the, th- the trend had been down. I'm hoping May was a good month for Dutch Bros. Yeah, I mean, May, we saw May come back, um, you know, a little bit better um, than April. But I would tell you that I, I still think there's some tough headwinds out there for the consumer. So we had a you know, trends that kind of started in, in mid-March kind of took themselves through April. And we did see a slight improvement in May, but, um, but it's certainly still not back to where we would, where we would like it to be or want it to be uh, long term. OK, fair enough. Let's go over some of J.P. Morgan's objections. Uh, and this is important because uh, they had been recommending the stock. First, they say yeah. Dutch, Dutch Bros is a discretionary occasion and it is an easy cutback when times feel tighter, like what the Fed wants. True. Uh, I don't think so. I, I think that's the case for um, some of our consumer base. We've seen afternoon day parts soften. Um, we've seen some of our energy drink business soften in those day parts. And I think that would lend to more of a discretionary consumer. But actually, our morning day parts have been stronger uh, recently, which shows that uh, consumer demand and people who are in their routines are, are, are coming to Dutch Bros every day. But our business really has softened in the afternoon. Now, you have cold drinks. I would think they would do better. Could any of it be the fact that you had to raise price because of the of the incredible uh, lift in dairy prices? Yeah, we 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 have not raised prices um, in in an aggressive way. I think we've been very moderate. I think we've been mindful of the customer during this pricing journey. We we took price in November. We took price again this spring, uh, which we just fully executed on June one. We'll evaluate it again. Um, early in the fall, but but we've been we've been careful about taking price too much on the customer. Um, you know, we feel like we're in this with them um, versus taking massive price and putting our baristas in a position where they need to explain something um, that maybe they don't have control over. So we're we're watching it carefully and and monitoring it uh, closely. But we want to take care of the customer here. We're very very mindful of that. Okay, now here, uh, J.P. Morgan saying hourly turnover sequentially uh, worsened in Q1, stepping up from 56 percent to 66 percent. And it sounds as if mobility of the the employee base may be increasing. True? Well, so the numbers would tell you true. Um, I would say that they are normalizing. I would say that we had an incredible run during COVID. I think the challenges here is that we're comping off of a COVID base well, remember, we were open and we were a great job to have during those times when a lot of other people were closed or we got that great resignation. Right. And I think right. you and I talked last time about the great application. I will tell you that our applicant pools are back up to normal ranges. And, you know, I think the competitive nature of the part time employee right now, I've never seen it greater in 30 years. And, right. um, and I think you are going to see some job switching as, as things settle down a little bit. So I still like our numbers. They're as competitive with anybody in the industry. And so I still think we're, we're an incredible place to be. OK, now, you and I both run businesses. Look, I play a guy on TV. He's a TV guy. But uh, I, ran I, a, I ran a couple of companies. And my take is that the public loves your stock. 
why you've got some money in the bank and you've got that great credit line, but I would love you to keep expanding. Why not tap the equity markets? They love you. People want to be shareholders. And then you wouldn't be worried about your balance sheet. Well, we are evaluating that and we'll continue to evaluate that opportunity um, as we look at our our structure and and where we want to go with that. It's probably not something I should I can comment on at this time, but I would tell you that our growth plans, regardless of that, are very strong. I mean, we'll open 130 locations this year through the second quarter. We're right on track to get that done. Um, We're adding massive numbers to our uh, to our app continually. So all of the indicators of this business in the 20 year journey that we're on are very strong. And um, and we're excited about that. Okay, so the Fed talked about today about some costs are actually coming down already. I'm hard pressed to find the ones that are coming down. Are you seeing any of them come down? Uh, you're seeing them come down in in, uh, in building materials. Um, I would really? tell you that some of our real estate people are starting to talk about, you're seeing materials that have peaked and maybe even slight uh, decline a little bit. The, the challenges in, in, in building right now are in labor. I think that our cost pressures on the on the materials side are starting to slow down, if not drop a little bit in some categories. So there is some of that happening. Well, it's pretty clear that the Fed is going to be your friend here. Uh, I took Jay Powell's comments as meaning, listen, we have to sacrifice some way to get demand down, and that's going to be through some joblessness. Maybe that actually, in a strange and, you know, and obviously ironic and sad way, will make it so that you have an easier time expanding. Yeah, I think, you know, I think, I don't think it'll make it easier. I just think that the, I think the landscape is in correction mode. And I, right. I think that we, you know, for us, it's like, let's not overcorrect and be somebody who we've never been. Um, let's make sure that we stay with the consistency of the 30 years. It's got us here. We're utilizing the app, which is a new tool for us in promotion and connecting with the customer in a way that we've never done before and utilizing that as we go through some of these tough, uh, maybe comp times, right. but Remember, we're making 20-year decisions for this company, and, um, and we got to make sure that this business, as it's been, will continue to stand the test of time. Well, I agree with you because I like your product and I like your service, and I believe it. That's Joth Ricky, president and CEO of Dutch Bros. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Joth. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank right. you. Loved stock. Loved product. Speed bump. You decide. May have money's back after the break. Just chill out. Is this Chill Master Jay? The Chill Man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. It is time. It's time. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Dad, time for the lightning round. Let's start with Kate and Georgia. Kay. Hi, Kramer. Hey, Kate. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How about you? I'm good. I um, I'm so grateful for the investment club. It's oh, really been you. indispensable during this turbulent time. Oh, you're very kind. We spent, you know, we're working seven days a week on this one, so I really appreciate your kind words. Thank you. Well, Kramer, I um received some stock from a spinoff in an, in another position I hold. Okay. And I wanted to know your thoughts on it. It's WCS, Woodside Energy. Oh, geez, Kate, that's a great company. And it's got a great yield, and it's going to come down a little bit now. People have decided that oil's no good anymore. I want to redouble oil where there's a good yield. And that is one of them. Thank you for the kind comments in the Investing Club, where we've been working night and day. Steve in California. Steve. Hey, Jim. 
Yes. Thanks. Long time listener, first time caller. Excellent. Um, I've been watching, of course, the stock market for the last couple of weeks and watched uh, the wonderful magic show going on, making disappearing profit. True. So I'm looking to trim some of my portfolio assets. And there was a stock you recommended a couple of months ago called Prostina. Yeah, they have, they have an Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's possibility. Remember, we are recommending and own Eli Lilly for the investing club as the way to be able to be involved with the good work that they're trying to do against Alzheimer's. Let's go to Drew in Illinois, please. Drew. Mr. Kramer, Drew Patel here. Thanks for having me. My stock for you today is Alibaba. What are your thoughts? on? I think Alibaba is going higher, but I'm not recommending any Chinese stocks in this show. The Chinese communists are just too hard to deal with the government. They just, they suck in and then they, they just kill you. Let's go to Chet in California, please, Chet. Hey, hi there, Jen, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Chet, how about you? I live in the most beautiful place in North America, so I'm doing well. Ah, great, thank you. What's that? So I've been, I've been watching applied materials for a decade, in and out, and I just went back in appreciably. What do you think of it? I like AMET very, very much. I think you're getting a real bargain down here. They are the actual reason why we have such great semiconductors. I cannot believe this stock fell below 100. I think you've got a great buy there. Let's go to Frank in Pennsylvania. Frank. Yes, Jim. Go ahead, Frank. Go ahead, Frank. Yeah. My question is on ChargePoint Holdings. Look, I think ChargePoint's going to be the winner in that space, but I don't think you're going to make any money. I mean, this is the kind of speculative stock that the Fed does not want you to win on. So let's play with the Fed's rules. John in North Carolina. John. Hi there, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course, John. What's up? Listen, listen, my hat is off to you, Ace. Um, For what you do, the services you supply, I was in your business almost 40 years. I got my CFA when you were probably still back at Harvard. So, and I know how difficult it is you do, and my hat is off to you. Thank nice you. I'm playing job. with an open hand. Boy, is it ever embarrassing sometimes, but yes, sir, I want people to learn. You tell people to buy stock, and then it goes down immediately. It's tough, but I want people to learn. Listen, uh, AMN Services, that, that was brought to me by your guys at the street, or you, I can't remember which. No, it's by me, uh, Susan Salka. She's been on a number of times. It's a great staffing company. I think that AM, this is really the time for AMNN. I think it's just a great opportunity to buy that. I would go with that. And thank you for the kind words. Really, it means a lot. Let's go to Bobby in Florida. Bobby. Jim. Bobby. Long time listener, first time call. Okay. What happened to Bobby? Um, Bobby in Florida. Bobby. How about we go to Danny in New Mexico? Danny. Hey there, big guy. Booyah. Booyah. Santa Fe. Booyah. What's hey, going on? Tim, I just wanted to talk to you about one stock. Uh, it's kind of a two-pronged question. Okay. Uh, the stock is Planet Fitness. What you feel about it in today's current environment. The second part is I work out there. When I go there during the weekdays, uh, they don't carry CNBC. They do carry the Georgia Bulldogs on the weekend. That's not bad. But I want to watch you guys during the week. I don't blame it. Let me let me hear from you. Well, look, I think Planet Fitness has come down a great deal, and I don't think that's right. I think it's a pretty good situation. I think the franchise is doing well. I don't know. I think it's an opportunity. And you know, uh, I like Chris Rondo a lot. He was just on the, uh, our network the other day. He was very, very good. How about David in Florida, please? David. Hey, 
Jim, this is uh, David from Hot Sunny, Florida. How you doing? I am doing well. How about you, David? Pretty good. Um, I, I want to get your take on uh, SoFi Technologies Incorporated. Well, what do you think it, about it? Is it a buy, sell, or hold? It's um, And if they've got the deposits, then they will do as well as the other banks that I've been saying. That if you have deposits, you're going to do very well because the Fed has given you basically free money. And the bank stocks did not rally enough because they're so hated. And I think that's a mistake. Greg in Virginia. Greg. Jim, thanks for taking my call. I'm a first time, long time. All right. I'd like to get your. All right. Uh, thanks for all the hard work. My stock oh, has zero over year earnings growth. Uh, a PE of eight, a 7% dividend. What's your opinion on starting a position in medical properties trust symbol MPW? I like that one. I like that one. They can back that yield up. I think it's a good situation. I don't know. It's falling apart because of interest rates continually, continually, continually going higher. But I think maybe with the Fed's call today, we're going to have a slow and more methodical rally and a rise in yields, and you're going to be okay. Let's go to Cam in Pennsylvania. Cam. Hi, Jim. My son is nine years old, and he has a question for you. Me too. Booyah. Booyah. Cam. He's got horse sense. What's up? This is Cam with Roblox and Facebook being down so much. What is the best metaverse stock to invest? Okay, the best metaverse stock to invest is Meta, M-E-T-A. That used to be Facebook, and I think that they are going to be the winner, and we're starting to see the proof of that by the stock starting to rally. As long and this big position for my travel trust, we've been building it up regularly. And that, Legend, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. This market may feel like a Shakespearean tragedy. And the Bard's got some wisdom that we're putting to work. Wouldst thou stick with Kramer? Next. The Fed needs to take a page from Shakespeare's Henry VI, as in the first thing we do, we kill all the speculators. Okay, in the original play, it's lawyers. But think of this as a modern adaptation. I'm not actually calling Federal Reserve murder people. We're speaking metaphorically here. But I do think it's essential for Fed Chief Jay Powell to wipe out the remaining speculators because they're a huge part of the easy money problem that you always hear about. Go back to 2020 when the newbies first got those bailout checks for the federal government. Go back to when we started having endless SPAC deals. Go back to when Robin Hood was alive and well. Go back to when anything with a well, they're still alive. But so well. Go back to anything with a name, not a product, but just a name. Rent the runway, all birds, I don't care, Oatly. These were all the products of extremely easy money. Specifically, these companies got funded too easily. Venture capitalists pretty much backed anything that moved. They did a first round, then if there was anything positive about the company, they did a higher round, then there may be a foot and still higher round. Finally, these startups came public at an even higher price before their stocks immediately went to a premium. It was, alas, as ridiculous as the year 2000. We saw this trajectory over and over again. It was great for the billionaires who pushed it. It was punishing for you. Of course, the Fed has already killed a lot of that game just by talking negative. In fact, when I was out in San Francisco, I felt the biggest potential landmines in this entire economy were the remaining disruptors because they won't be able to raise easy money from you anymore because you've learned and the market's gotten disciplined. It just won't let them in. SPAC. I have no idea what happens to these uh, companies or to the 600-odd companies that came public over the last couple of years because at least half of them could run out of cash if these markets don't open up, and I don't see any sign they're opening up. Fed. Speculators. We know the Fed wants to slow down spending so the economy can catch its breath. That's why we got a 75 basis point triple rate hike today. 
That means destroying wealth. And I think this is as good a place to start as any. Remember, the Fed's no longer in that helping innovators mode. It's in crushing innovators mode, unless they're truly good enough to attract investment in a much less forgiving environment. But as badly as Powell wants the common stock speculators crushed, he really needs crypto to absolutely bite the dust. That's the plan, man. (laughs) Crypto and its cousins... NFTs are the most speculative assets out there. Hey, look, I know when I bought Ethereum, I thought it might be a vast storeholder value. I came to realize that was just nonsense, though. But I got some fools even greater than I am to take me out of my position at a much higher level. After my trip to San Francisco last week, I wrote a summary of my takeaways uh, from speaking to literally dozens of tech CEOs and CFOs that went to uh, CNBC investing club members only. When I asked them about Bitcoin, I heard the same thing over and over again. Hey, 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 Jim, it's a con. I wouldn't go that far. It's not a con. It's a textbook speculative bubble where everyone's betting on what I ended up doing. The greater fool theory that someone dumber will come along and buy your Ethereum or your NFT at a higher price. Then the whole thing implodes when you run out of fools. Bummer. And look, before the cryptids or cryptoids or crypt get angry, I can say the same thing about buying a painting, except you can actually look at a painting. Bitcoin's also got that feel of roulette where you can wager on black or red or green double zeros terrific to hit a home run. But that's not really a game of skill, is it? It's kind of a game of chance. NFTs seem more like tulips, just a totally unjustifiable boom that looks crazy in retrospect and can be eaten by rabbits. The Fed sees this kind of thing as rank speculation they want stamped out. Basically, in order to cool the economy, the Fed needs consumers to be more worried about their jobs and their spending. It needs speculators to turn into investors. And it wants to stop the charade, parade of new cryptocurrencies or whatever else comes along next. So people start saving that money in anything that's not a shell game. Trust me. After what I heard today, Powell wants the speculation to end. It's just he wants you to end it. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.